You're listening to the Irish Times. I have a warm, fuzzy feeling this morning, Pat. What's your warm, fuzzy feeling? It's, well, partly it's having put up my tree yesterday. Oh, well done. Which is the earliest, I think, ever. What? Yeah, go on. Although, well, last year I made up for the lateness of putting it up that it, it stayed up, I think, until certainly April, maybe May. Anyway, I don't mean to let daylight in upon magic in my household. But the warm, fuzzy feeling is, of course, for the good souls of Mullignacta. The Christmas fairy tale of Mullignacta. What a story. It's ab- it is a, dro- a jaw-dropping story. Yeah. Because I'm actually from a half-parish as well, the other half of my parish of Newcastle and Tipperary. Let us explain the story for people who may not know it. The half-parish yeah. of Mullignacta in Longford, because the other half of the parish is in Cavan. Cavan. Yesterday, defeated Kilmacud Croaks in the Leinster Senior Football Club final. And it's would be a conservative way of looking at it would be to say that if the population of Mullignacta is around four to 500. 450, they reckon, 450 parishioners. And that's the population of the whole place. Yes. The membership of Kilmacud Croaks club would be about 10 times that. Put it this way, uh, Kilmacud Croaks run a fairly thriving clubhouse uh, out in Stillorgan and do a fair lunch trade. They would have more people through Kilmacud Croaks clubhouse for lunch on a, on a given day than there are people in Mullignacta. It It is amazing. Yeah. And like I said, I'm being I'm from Newcastle and Tipperary. The other half of the parish is Ballymacabry or the Nair. Now the Nair are a senior club and a very good senior club. Mm. We're the smaller part of the parish, and it's it's all we can do sometimes to field teams, mm. and to to watch what they did yesterday. Like in, uh, Sean Moran had a great line on the front of the sports section mm. today, where he said the Spartans had better odds at Thermopylae, <laughs> Indeed. which, which was, is a cracking line, and it's tr- and it's true. It is basically yeah. the three hundred taking on the hordes yeah. and winning. Yeah. yeah, only only difference being as their uh, John Keegan, their the Mullignacta chairman, was saying during the week. Kilmacud are still only allowed to put on put fifteen on the pitch, the same as we are. True, and, and that is that is what it boils down to, you know. That that you know, this is what I always say about uh, to go off on a tangent, but uh, you know, people saying you know we need to split Dublin in two. Uh, I think it's a terrible idea because then they'd be able to put two teams of fifteen on the pitch. Yes, yeah, two teams the, that are the only thing. The only thing the rest of the country has going for them is that the Dubs can only put out fifteen at a time. Yeah. <laughs> But back to Mullignacta. What a fantastic story. Because what they did is they did it in a perfectly uh, professional way. Kept the game tight, score a late penalty, and then the absolute wind went out of um, Crooks. And I'd seen Crooks. I, I was at the Dublin County Final. Crooks, are, they were a grand team. Mannion was absolutely amazing the night of the, the Dublin County Final. Uh, and was amazing, I think, in the first round of our Leinster quarterfinal as well. But like, they were—they're not a, a complete, they're not a special one of these special club sides that come along. And Mullignacta, in fairness to them, absolutely recognised that and just went—you know—we keep this game tight. They were what they went two po- uh, went a point up when they scored the penalty, and after that, you could, as Sean actually said in his report. You could see the wind completely go out of Crooks. There was no sense of them going, right, we're only a point down here, we need to win the kick out, let's go for it. Um, well, Anyakta just buried them and went and scored the second point 
and uh, one by two points. It is fantastic. In a year that we had a lot of kind of hurling fairy tales mm. and people were, are feeling so down on football, football could do the fairy tale and this is it. And I thought the loveliest uh, part of it was that last night um, the Gauna, who were the Cavan club on the other side of the parish, their whole team was out in club colours to welcome the other team back to the village. Oh. Which is a beautiful thing. It is. It is a beautiful thing. And uh, and Sean's first line uh, this morning is is perfect. He says, The choirs of angels will need to turn up the volume in the skies around North East Longford in a fortnight's time if they are to be heard at all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is... Uh, the Out of Time podcast on a Monday morning uh, from the Irish Times with me, Malky Clerken, and him, Pat Nugent. Later on, uh, we are going to have a special guest indeed. Sonia O'Sullivan is coming in to talk about yesterday's European Cross Country Championships and the Athletics year as a whole. She's in with Ian O'Reardon. But first of all, we're going to get into the weekend's rugby, for which we have Jerry Thorney in studio. Morning. And Gavin Comiskey in studio. Hey. hey. How are you, Gavin? You well? Very happy. Thanks for coming in. Lens to one. I know you had, one. He's always I know you had, I know you had a long, long route home yesterday, so we'll allow you a little bit of Bath, Bristol, Birmingham. Yeah. What? Really? Yeah, flight was cancelled. And I was okay. I just did. Just opened the laptop and typed away. Nobody cares. Nobody <laughs> true, cares. True, 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 true. Four from four on the weekend. Yep. Never to be sniffed out of this. Never to be sniffed out of this. Never. never. Uh, where do we start? Where do we start? We'll start with Munster, Jerry. Uh, you were there yesterday, 30 points to five over Castra. Uh, in Thoman Park um, took a while for them to, to sort of put clear water between themselves and Cass yeah 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 come with the air come with the men the big plays came from Conor Murray and, and Peter Omani Conor Murray finally breaching their defence spotting them a vacant uh, corridor on the blind side and offloading inside for Rory Scannell then when they were under siege surprisingly enough after Murray was adjudged to have fumbled behind the goal from a missed penalty and Castro suddenly had a five metre scrum mm. um, um, Peter Omani came up to Omani in that time again this yeah. is what I love. I've said this the show about you, you before Gav, that, that Omani's stats may not suggest a great match mm. but it's the moments that he cho- that he comes up with the big plays that are so influential he has a, an antenna for that absolutely kind of and then Murray again with a brilliant snipe and one-handed offload for CJ Sanders to score and then they finally put away a good try at the end but they let in Castro for late score um, it, was a, it was an odd game very underwhelming in many respects yeah. and yet 21,000 plus for the second weekend in a row in the Heineken Cup months of the biggest attendance of any team of any of any crowd in the competition because they're, and yet they're, they're it's belie- not a 27,000 capacity yeah, there they're believing the in them again yeah they are yeah, they are yeah. they are. and it, I think at their best they'd have got a bonus point because Castra were about the most negative rugby side I have ever seen you had in an, my life you had an extraordinary stat to kick the ball in the paper this morning <laughs> Is that right? Explain that to me. I, I had to read that a couple of times to get... Give you an example. About 25 minutes in, now they hadn't been in the, the monster half and all they'd done was box kick it through their scrum half. Um, and this time they they actually retrieved a Murray box kick on the, on the they had a ball on the monster 10 metre line for the first time in the match. One pass from scrum half to the out half and he puts a cross kick. This is their chance to actually you know, make Munster tackle a little bit and actually keep the ball and bring themselves into the game. They just kicked the leather off it. It was parked. So your stat was that they, that they, they kicked, kicked the ball, ball twenty times in the first half and passed it eighteen times. They came to tackle. Yes, came they tackled. They did tackle, but they did not come to play any rugby. They were up for a fight too. They were well up for a bit of fisticuffs whenever there was an opportunity going for that. that they'd be altogether that, together. That wouldn't be that wouldn't be out of the ordinary between Munster and Castle. No, <laughs> and there was enough ill feeling and bad blood to tell me that Castle would be a completely different proposition and up for it. 
next Saturday at home in Stade Pierre Favre and uh, and you know you'd have to wonder whether they're going to Munster will have Joey Carby and Chris Farrell I suppose in mitigation of Munster like to lose your out half and your outside centre virtually on the morning of the game and for JJ Hanron to step in as well Big as he day did for JJ Hanron huge day Huge day. 21 games in Europe before this. 93 matches for Munster. And it was his first start at out half in the Heineken Champions Cup. Do you have imagined that when he was named young World Young Player of the Year? Six How years was ago. Six years ago. Wasn't named player. He was nominated, nominated shortlisted. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yes, yeah, it's been... It's been... It ha- some... That's the way, a bit like Andrew Conway. It doesn't always happen instantaneously. It's not, you know, they're not all Brian O'Driscoll's. They're not all yeah, James Ryan's. You control your own career, Jerry, as well. JJ Hanron's had plenty of opportunities to come through. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he didn't. And then he left Munster because, for whatever reasons back then. It was a contractual and all that. Like, so he walked away from the system. But, like, he did well yesterday. But You say he's got loads of opportunities. But JJ, my point is. Talent, that, talent wise, there's no games, doubt there. Gavin, but that's his first started out half in the Heineken Cup. Yeah, but why? You know what I mean? Like, I remember him years ago down in Perpignan shining as a fullback going, oh, get him into out half, get him his chance. Talent-wise, no doubt about it, but there's a reason why people don't come through and, uh, like, Munster have signed an out half to replace him, you know? JJ, Carberry is the number one guy. He took his chance yesterday, but, like, um, Conway, I think, was denied coming through by injuries. You know what I mean? Like, the same kind of unbelievable talents, mm-hmm. you know? But JJ Hanron? Not just by injuries in Andrew's case, you know what I mean? Andrew's game has improved immeasurably oh, in the last eight years. When you yeah. think of what came out of school, the ball's in behind him, is is rather questionable does he actually kick a ball look how good he is now chipping and yeah. rubbering on, on the run you know he's got a really good kicking game he's really good under the high ball these were not strengths that the schools game necessarily taught him because he played in dominant black rock size and just ran in tries yeah but who would you pick now if you're picking JJ Hanron or Ross Byrne tomorrow for Ireland let's say Carberry and Sexton well probably injured. Ross Byrne yeah, yeah he's got a mean? bigger body of work under his belt yeah, but he's only, still only a kid though you know yeah. what I mean it's like so JJ Hanron talent wise was always there but he hasn't come through and he hasn't lived up to the talent he showed. There was big pressure on him yesterday because I'm sure, you know, maybe, maybe quite a few Munster fans would have been on the way to the ground and it was lashing rain on the way, on the way to the ground. Then it suddenly brightened up come kick-off. But I'll say a few people heard that Carby was out. Oh, we're not giving Murray and Carby together. Then they heard Chris Farrell was out and it's lashing rain, it's freezing cold. I'll go, to, I'll go home and watch it or I'll go to the <laughs> pub and watch it. And, you know, it probably deflated the expectations a little bit that Carby wasn't playing. Hanron must have known. He only got in this op- overdue opportunity at 26 years of age through the back door, through false circumstances. Had he messed up, he'd never been allowed to forget it. Um, I think he's shown some incredible resilience mentally this season because he had one horror show in September when he dropped a ball behind the line against Glasgow away from home and they scored off and he was hauled off in the 44th minute. And you thought, that's his season done for Carberry coming in. And he's actually established himself as Munster's second choice at half and filled in brilliantly. I mean, his goal kicking is superb, which is important. was very important yesterday when the tries wouldn't come. He got six out of six. 20 points, you can't really argue with that. What was his control like on, in the game? And yeah, they dominated moment. territory, which is what the, what the, co- what, what the co- what coach wanted. Was and Murray did hurt? That. Did Murray hurt himself putting Standard away? Or was he okay? Did he? No, it seemed fine. Well, no. Jerry, what was Murray's performance like? Because there was the mm. two moments of inspiration to set up the two tries, but how was he looking from a rust point of view? Ah, there was a little bit of rust. There was one or two misplaced passes. It was uh, a very greasy ball. Um... He fired one at Tyg Byrne in his chest from about three yards away that nobody in the world could have caught. And poor old Tyg, that was made as his second knock-on about two minutes and he was looking a bit sheepish about it. But yeah, there was a few mis- there was another misplaced pass. But they might have struggled yesterday without Conor Murray. You know, when you've got the world's best scrum half who can create two tries like that, you've got a great chance of winning mo- a lot of rugby matches. But I would venture that had they not had Conor Murray there yesterday, that could have been quite a struggle for them. Good to see him back already. Yeah. Yeah, great to see him back.
and he got a he got a standing ovation from the crowd when he was when he was taken off because the the monster faithful know how important this lad is. As ever, uh, with cast the you know they're famously fairly half-assed on the road in mm. in this competition, but like it's no gimme now next week. No, I think they've lost twenty four of the last twenty five away from home in this competition. Um, but there'll be a there'll be a different cattle official completely at home. Um, like I said, there was enough bad blood there. They a, a little bit of a concern for Munster aside from the doubts about Carberry and um, Chris Farrell is that in the absence of James Cronin and uh, Stephen Archer, both David Kilcoyne and John Ryan had to put in a big shifts. Yeah. Seventy three minutes and eighty minutes, and it was noticeable how much improved Castle Scrum was when they brought on. Their, when they changed their front Change row the front early in the second row. Yeah. So I think that's going to be completely different. Like, they got three points, they could have had six points. They got a lot of joy out of their scrum yesterday, Munster, which I don't think they're going to get away from home because the one thing the French always do when they're at home, it matters so much to them, it's, some things never change, and that is their scrum. You know, they, if they get any kind of rolling mall or a scrum advantage, the crowd really feed into it, they feed off the crowd, and it becomes a very influential factor in the game. So I'd imagine Castro will have be locked and fully loaded at scrum time next week. Yeah, and... The, the, Munster are going to have to defend a lot more. They're going to have to tackle a lot more than they did yesterday. And it'll be an altogether tougher game, which is not to say they couldn't do it. They're good enough, particularly with Murray there. Um, and they've enough, they've enough about them to win, but uh, it's going to be a much different game. Could be this, we've seen much bigger turnarounds than mm. 30 points to five in this mm. competition week to week. It's just because the two biggest motivations in rugby, perhaps, are bad feeling and also revenge. Yeah. And when you get them back to back, you mm. get them bucket loads. Gav, you were in uh, Bath on Saturday. Yeah. Very enjoyable. Really good you game. You really enjoyed it, didn't you? Really good game of rugby to be at. Yeah. Um, Leinster kind of battered their way to a 17 10 win, well, wasn't it? I got my preview wrong because I, um, I thought that Leinster would sort out uh, Bath quite easily. You know what I mean? I thought they'd get a bonus point. Just judging from Bath's form leading into the game, they've been abysmal. And there's confusion over their coaching structures and all that. And I talked to Gervin Dempsey, and I, he just didn't convince me that they were going to put it up. And they were missing so many players in so many key positions. And Francois Lowe and Sam Underhill showed up and proved that they are two of, if not the two. You're best a bit in love with sides. Sam Underhill now, aren't you? Oh, what a player though! Like you know, he didn't make it at Gloucester. Went to Ospreys, and a couple of years ago, Eddie Jones rang him to get back into the English system. We saw what he did to the All Blacks. Like this guy's like. So Levy was at number eight and didn't have a great game at the base of the scrum and all that. But it was Levy and Van der Flyer, two Leinster outside, selected to counteract Francois Lowe and Sam Underhill, and they were outplayed. Um, when, when we break it up, often. We break, like Francois Lowe was the uh, was the best player on the pitch in the first half, and Underhill was about to become the best player on the pitch in the whole game, and then James Ryan just went to this whole other level, and and the, the Leinster pack went with him, and they got out of it. But uh, it was fascinating to watch, and Reynal just let let everyone go to work on the ground. And I was talking to Sam Underhill afterwards, and he goes, "The breakdown now is like a restart. So it's a, it's an opportunity to win ball if the referees let you." Um, and that's. From that point of view, I thought it was fascinating, and like it's a it's a really really good victory for Leinster. They had to they had to grind their way out of it, and like Over, overcame a, a flag scandal beforehand, obviously. Oh yeah, I'll get to that. But like <laughs> but one of the things was like it was a Larmer intercept, but it was also Ross Byrne came on for Sexton was getting treatment and kicked the penalty to put them out of sight. The flags thing, yeah, I reported about it in this morning's paper, but I remember when it was happening, I was there going. Bet you now this is the only thing that people are going to be talking about <laughs> from rugby this weekend. Was so explain it there. The Leinster Supporters Club brought over 1,500 flags and they were going to be divvying them out when they get into the ground. And some jobs were on the gate said, uh, no, we're confiscating them. Even though in every second seat around the stadium, there was exactly the same flags with bat colours on them. So your man obviously said, 
No, you're not handing out 1,500 Leinster flags in, in our stadium. Yeah, fine. Yeah, I, I remember just thinking, going, oh, I don't care about this. But like, and if you, if you feed into it, like rugby, like any other sport, it generates its own atmosphere. The guy behind us, the PA guy, was screaming and shouting for Bat fans to become the 16th man all game and like to sing songs and rah, rah, rah. And like, trust me, they got into it when when the game was. They got into it when Sam Underhill got over a Leinster ball, drove yeah. Levy Edward, got in over a Leinster ball and stole it off them. Then the place went wild. You don't need to be people to be singing and scry. it just does my head in. Like there's all this pyrotechnics and fireworks behind games. And all that. Sport generates. Its I, own would, I would. I would be cares dis- about flags. I would be disgusted if my club uh, in any sport let the other crowd bring in fifteen thousand. Happens it, the world over, Mel. Out. It happens the world over. Yeah, Mixture colours. That's what sport is about. Uh, bollocks. Yeah. Well, I just my <laughs> you totally. My opinion on it is I just don't care. I don't care about flags. I just wanted to watch the rugby and report on the rugby. And I remember going, I'm gonna have to write about this. And sure enough, last last night when I got home, someone was there going, God, what was the story with flags. the flags? Well, let's go back to the pitch then Fake for news. a second. <laughs> I just don't care. Like it's flags. Jerry, I was wondering something about the, the try that Larmor scored, the the breakaway. Like James Wilson basically thought he had an advantage through a double skip pass it got intercepted surely that was a very short advantage yeah it was a very short advantage but it's a very clear audible um, instruction from Matthew Rennell that advantage was over um, maybe Wilson didn't hear it, but he definitely cl- he called it. He calls it quicker than it would be a penalty advantage. You know, the scrum advantage. You know, referees aren't going to want to go back and have reset scrums if they can avoid it. Mm. Where the penalty advantage, they will let it go a phase or two and go back and give the penalty. It's a different kind of advantage. But he mustn't have heard. You know, he mustn't no, have. He, no. he didn't hear. But the advantage was I mean, the scrum half came through. Sean Cronin's lineout was all caught the wind or whatever and went was. And then the bass scrum half uh, Chudley came through, grabbed the ball, and I think in re- in the referee's mind he was like, "That's your advantage there." So I don't. Okay. And, and it was it was so was it a stupid play for? No, no, he throws it out as you say because he thinks he has an advantage. He thinks it's a freebie. Pass, thinks it's a free shot, order. so he throws it out, and uh, Larmer reads it and picks it off. It's a little bit of luck. You know, they, they did get a little bit of luck, Leinster. There's no doubt about well. it. Yeah. They, they won the key moments. That was one of them. The other was the very unlucky turnover that Bath made at a ruck when they were hammering away at the Leinster line, maybe about to draw level. And Lowe puts a huge kick downfield. And there's two big chases in the last 10 minutes. I know Josh Flanderfleer might not have had his best day at the breakdown, but he's like 50 yards ahead of every other forward on the pitch. Mm. In the last 10 minutes, he's been like an impact replacement in the last 10 minutes. Quite extraordinary. And then Gibson Park gets over the ball and Ross Byrne kicks a penalty. And they were the two big big moments and they, there was a little bit of luck involved in both them for Leinster but I suppose to some degree champions make their own luck that was a tough tough game Gav now I got, I got this in, in um, Stade Set Denier in Toulouse when Leinster come to town they are the prize scalp. There's a big red dot on their forwards. Everybody on, wants yeah. to bring them down and you know this is, a, this is what it's like being champions and you know the British media and the and the French media have been very generous to the Irish module and the Leinster example. And, you know, French rugby players are reading about this in Le Keep and English rugby players are reading about it in The Guardian, The Times, whatever. And they, they want to take Leinster down and they want to take Ireland down. And we're going to see it in the Six Nations as well. It's going to be the first time in history. February 2nd, Dublin, England, England. That England come to Dublin wanting to have a crack at Ireland. Yeah. I don't remember this ever happening. It's always been the other way around. Uh, so it's I can't wait for that game yeah, because of watching Sam Hun- Underhill and James Ryan the two 22 year olds I really feel like if injury doesn't get in their way we were watching what's going to become the two most dominant figures in the game like uh, they're that good these two guys we know this you know what I mean that shift, that shift is something that Leinster have to deal with now at all times 
problems. Yes, completely. Todd Blackadder said it afterwards. He was like, it was clearly Bat's best performance in a year. As it had been to lose his Yeah, yeah As clearly. And Blackadder afterwards, the director of rugby, was like, um, wow, if we could play like that every week. And like, he was like, and so we were like, so you're going to go full metal jacket and send your best team to Dublin this weekend which the tournament the integrity of the tournament really needs Bath to do that Does Bath have their own if Bath problems at home as well though in the, in the domestic league don't they? They've actually a really good squad if you looked at all the injured internationals yeah, in do. the stand they, do. they should Balotau be doing better and Reese Priestland and all that but They're distant six aren't they? They, well off the they have Wasps the week after Leinster and the Aviva then they have Leicester and if they lose two, those two games they are in a relegation fight which costs millions okay? and might they not just think that this week my top black yeah. card might just look at this and say that's our priority and it's all very well in the they're aftermath on, of the game they're on yeah, five yeah. points after three games so if they're on ten to lose around twelve it's hugely damaging yeah. they ain't going to make it they, they'll know that so the flip side is it's hugely damaging to the tournament if Bats end over their under twenties. You know, mm. if Bats sit down all their top players because the tournament it just makes a farce at the tournament. We've seen it so many times before, but I think the only reason they might go full metal jacket is because they'll look at um, if they can get a good result, if they can repeat what they've done there, that momentum that they've generated already. Now they've just they really were excellent. They were as good as Leinster until the last few minutes, and if just besides a couple of mistakes, they could have won that game, you know, and a bit more clinical edge. If they bring that, and then they can carry that form in. But don't forget the, the toll of rugby doesn't doesn't agree. Also, Gav, it's not just Europe. Todd Blackadder is previous in this. He sent a B team to Saracens. Said we we can't beat Saracens away. Yeah, sent a B team there. It's becoming increasingly prevalent in rugby. Yeah, so it could be a dud. This big huge game that Leinster sell their season on and all that, and the big Christmas party in the Aviva Stadium. In actual fact, the big one's shaping up to be round five in January at the RDS. Leinster v Toulouse, the two four-time winners. Toulouse have surprised me. They could have been bottom after the first two games. They deservedly beat Wasps away. Wasps have shot their bolt in this competition as well. They're, they're really in steep decline, Wasps, it seems to me. But that was a good win for Toulouse. And you'd imagine they will complete the double at home this weekend for a similar reason. The Wasps are now out of contention. Threadbare squad. And they've got to prioritise um, domestic matters. So you could have Toulouse and Leinster going into round five on something like you know 17 versus 15 points. Like put the pool up for grab, two four-time winners. That's the one they should be moving to Aviva. Let's go yeah. back to uh, to uh, Friday night. Like that's some result for Ulster. Oh, it's extraordinary. So I didn't see it coming, yeah. Mal. Yeah. Whether you did, Gav. I'm I didn't glad see we didn't coming. see it coming. Certainly at no, the start I of the season, it, I, they, whatever weeks, about last week. Previously, they they something like twenty-five percent possession. So they beat Scarlets twenty-five twenty-four. Scarlets. Scarlets performance has to be mentioned. They, uh, something's going wrong there with Vern Cotter since he's got the Welsh job. Their their form. Wayne Pivac. Sorry, yeah, yeah. They're, they're out of. Um, yeah, it's a factor. Yeah, they're out of. Europe. Ty Burns a big loss. Yeah, Scott Williams is gone as well, hasn't he? Yeah. They just don't look. They've looked like they've plateaued and they're on the way down. But that being said. Yeah. I didn't see Ulster going there and getting a bonus point win and that gives them now a great chance. What a try by Stockdale. Like. Great, try, um, great break by Addison and pass. Great try by Addison. You know, I've heard some people say this is an average provincial player. Well, oh, I'll take player. Joe Schmidt's view over anybody else's because yeah. Joe team seems a little bit of a knack for spotting a good player and this guy can play 13. He, I've even seen him draw slot in at 10 for 10 minutes against Leicester when uh, Billy Burns went off for a head knock and he can play full back. That kind of versatility. He can play in the wing. He's, he's played in all three player, positions yeah. in his last two claps for Ireland. I think he's going to the World Cup and he's really given Munster something, or Ulster something when they needed it because they'd had firstly lost an entire back line and you think of Piotr leaving. Stockdale is some finisher. Some finisher. He's just yeah. extraordinary. <laughs> Like, that was extraordinary finish what he did there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and I, I don't think Garrett Davis like, was favourite player either. Yeah. It was nice to see. <laughs> Do you know what you said, Addison? Look, he was class. 
Addison, Chris Farrell, Conway. It looks like only one of them can make the World Cup squad if yeah, you break it down. Yeah, um, yeah. How would you? We're, we're how would you divvy that up now? Well, this is this is the thing now. We're, some really good players going to miss out. I thought Ian Henderson was outstanding. Yeah. Best performance of the season. Yeah. You've got Ian Henderson, Tyke Byrne, who can't get into the starting team. And he can't get Tyke Byrne will not be getting into the Ireland squad off the back of Ian, what Ian Henderson did. Yeah. There. If it was being picked tomorrow, Tyke Byrne's still waiting in it's, line. It's James Ryan and who, which is just remarkable itself. Yeah. And nobody's reputation went up higher in the November window than Devon Toner. Yeah. And we know Joe's a big fan of Quinn Rue as well. It's uh, it's there are some good players who are not going to make the World Cup squad, and that's I suppose that's how it should. Well, be. injury will, injury will probably sort that out. I thought the other thing as well about that was uh, I thought Jared Payne's defensive system really worked very well they hardly ever committed more than one or two they always kept the numbers out and I thought it was just a big the first big statement win of the Dan McFarland era I've said it in this program before I've written it that was a really shrewd appointment this guy knows his way around the scene he's cut his teeth as an assistant coach in Ireland and Scotland and he wanted the job he's a bright lad um, they've got a good little coaching ticket there and I thought also the game also showed how important Rory Best is still to them still there still there well all is right with the world uh, listen thanks very much for coming in lads uh, we will talk to you again and uh, we'll take a bit of a sting now and we're going to have Sonia Sullivan in afterwards cheers lads cheers alright we have uh, athletics royalty in here Pat today you're not uh, talking about Eno Reardon here, are you? Are you ruined my joke? <laughs> <laughs> he is entered in the Dublin Marathon. Yes. He is entered yeah. in the Dublin Marathon. The voice you heard there is, of course, Sonia O'Sullivan. Thank you for coming in, Sonia. It's all right. There's only one way to get in here on a Monday morning. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> my foot. I think I nearly knocked you down on my bicycle as well. It would have been a classic, classic accident. Sonia, you were in uh, Tilburg yesterday watching the European Cross Country Championships, which, of course, your daughter was running in. What sort of day was it? How did it all go? Yeah, it was a very interesting day. I haven't been to European cross-country for a, a good few years now. You used to go fairly regularly, I suppose. Uh, well, not really, no. It was kind of only new, introduced there, I suppose, the middle of my career. And it was always a bad time of the year, right. December, because I was always on a bit of a rest, so never very fit. Um, but this was the first time I've been now with a bit of interest in it, you know. And I think I've probably had more renewed interest in athletics recently, which... Sophie competing and then also, you know, being more aware of all the junior, um, particularly junior women in Ireland who have been doing really well, um, even though the junior boys did really well yesterday as well. So they're probably being inspired by by the girls. Um, but there's a big difference. In recent years, I've um, been inside an RTE commentating on the European cross country. And it's very different sitting in the studio, looking at the athletes and then being there on the course and watching it. And it was a bit of a reality check for me yesterday to see the standard. Really? The standard is really, really high. And particularly in the junior junior races, very, very high standard there. It's across kind of four age groups. You have athletes competing who are 16 years old, who are 19 years old. So it's a, a very high standard. A lot of them turn up year after year. And uh, that's probably their breeding ground, really, before they step off into the into the senior ranks. Ian, how... Uh, the the Irish went there yesterday fair, fairly hopeful at some of the grades of, of maybe getting team medals and what have you. Yeah, but, uh, def- definitely, Malik. Certainly yeah. one very unfortunate fall yesterday. Yeah, we do. We like, we like to look at the medals. That, that'll always grab the headlines. And the junior women, and particularly Sarah Healy in the junior women's race. There were, I mean, there were definite medal hopes. And I think well, it's one of those classic situations that we'll never know. And the not knowing um, would probably hurt her more than the fall. I mean, she was. I, I thought she was very very well positioned about actually leading the race. She was up the leaders about halfway. She fell down. She lost about 10, 15 metres straight away. She got back up to seven. But I mean, you could tell it, it, it absolutely 
you know, put her off her race plan. I don't think, you know, you don't expect to fall like that. Would she have meddled? Maybe not. The team ended up, well, they ended up, they ended up six, but they were like three points off third. So, I mean, there's no doubt if she'd, I think, I think she hadn't fallen, they would have, they would have got a, um, they would have gone a medal, but I agree with Sonia. I've been I've been kind of saying this for years. You know, it's we all kind of become armchair fans of any sport. We got to sit back and say, "Oh, look at this, look at that," and you know, they're not very good here. But the reality on the ground is sometimes a lot different. And the European Cross Country is a very competitive event because all the European nations believe they're at the same level. Like when you take out the the Africans, the Kenyans, Ethiopians, they all think they can compete. So it's a properly competitive event. And even in the junior women's race, you had like about 27, 28 countries all competing. So it's a very good measure where we are. I thought they were competitive across all the events um, with the possible exception of the senior women. Now, that there's kind of two ways of looking at that. Is that is that a reflection of they're just kind of, we just don't have the depth at that level anymore or, or why not? Um, but I certainly think, to go back to Sarah Healy, she's got two more years in this grade, I, almost perfectly to, to coincide with the fact that in 2020, the European cross country is coming to Dublin, coming to Abbottstown. So that'll be that'll be when the pressure will come on. But uh, two years to develop, and I think in some ways this is this is the perfect sort of like um, you know extra motivation now, certainly over the next year to say, well, I'll come back there next year and um, make amends. Well, we thought it'd be interesting to talk to you not just about yesterday, the two of you, but about the athletics year in general, um, because it has been um, by the by even the most simple measure. Ian, we had you in here talking athletics during the summer. Yes, uh, twice, not once, but <laughs> twice. That was how uh, how and golf, perhaps as well, in one of the days. Indeed, I think it was. It, I mean, it was a year where, where, like, as you say, Sonia, you know, you, you go to these events and you just see the depth, the depth of talent, the breadth of talent is is huge in athletics. Yeah, like we went, and, and if and for Irish people to be able to compete on that stage is always a good year when when they did as well as they did this year. They did this year and, you know, it was very positive. What I noticed yesterday was to see Irish vests at the front of the field. Like, you know, the first race of the day, there was three junior women right up there. And, you know, the others were not that far behind, you know, so they were standing out and they weren't like straggling along behind. We're actually up there and being competitive and believing that they belonged. And then this followed on in the later races as well. You know, there was... um, in the under in the under twenty three women, there was a girl up in sixteenth place. The junior men, um, you know, there was three of them. Just I think there were two in the top twenty, and then the third in the twenty first place. You know, so that's very prominent to see that up there. And you know, we have to accept where we are right now. I think, and go forward with that. The senior men as well. You know, they were right up there. Sean Tobin in tenth place. That's like a phenomenal result. Kevin Dooney was twenty sixth, and he was ahead of Sean in the national championship. So he'll be thinking, well, I got to get up there now and compete. And you know, you could have two closer to the top ten. Um, when you do that, then you can start looking at medals again. But you do have to believe or realise that you know medals are very very difficult to get. And I think we did get a bit excited last week. You know expecting the junior women you know that they would just go out there turn up and come home with a medal and you know it was definitely an eye opener for me to see the standard out there and you know we did have a very good team we had a good chance um, maybe a missed opportunity but there was other teams out there who took that opportunity and you know everybody can't get medals but you know we were very very close and it just shows how competitive it is and you know you notice that across European athletics. I think European athletics is a driving force, um, you know, in the world of athletics. It's where the markets are, where, you know, the sponsors are. It's where the fans are. 
and you know we're in Europe and it's a slightly lower level than the World Championships it's where we can be competitive the European Indoors is coming up in Glasgow in March so that's a, another opportunity and I think we just have to keep pushing and pushing and trying and trying and you know eventually the medal will turn up you know just like Thomas Barr turned up with his bronze medal in Berlin in the summer I think you just have to keep turning up and the opportunities will be there and you just can't let those opportunities slip and you know sometimes they do and sometimes it's through no fault of your own you know like Sarah Healy slipping up yesterday it wasn't her fault you know it was just one of those unfortunate things that happen in cross country um she can't change it and she'll keep wondering, you know, what if. But, you know, the best thing is to, to look ahead and say, OK, well, what's next? But, uh, Sonia mentioned Thomas Barr there. In, that's not the obvious sort of standout highlight of the athletics here. Put it in context uh, for a dullard like me. Like the, a European final isn't, a, isn't that far below, a European bronze medal isn't that far below Olympic standards, is not it? Well, not when you have the the world champion uh, winning. That was the Swedish guy Warholm. No, and I think I think and, and you know it's funny about Thomas Barr. I remember interviewing him before he went to Berlin, and you know he'd finished fourth, obviously in Rio, and he kept saying, you know, fourth is great and pat on the back, but he's like the medal. You know, you can hold it, you can you can bite it, whatever the whatever the word is, and that's why medals will always grab the headlines. But, but I think going back to yesterday, like, and that's why we did come close to win medals. But Sonia's right to saying that you know sometimes you can't take it for granted because Ireland actually won medals. In all the major championships outdoors over the summer, obviously there was the European under-18s. I know that's kind of the junior grade. And then the under-20s, which is very, very competitive. I mean, that's literally one step down from from senior level. Um, That's where the relay won won the gold, the four by... Sorry, silver. And um, Summer Lecky in the high jump. They're two events where we wouldn't traditionally have athletes coming through. And then you had Sarah Healy winning that double in the... um, in the 1500 metres and the 3000 metres beating one of the women one of the girls by the way who finished finished ahead of her yesterday and then got a, got a medal the, uh, the, the, the Turkish girl so I think I definitely think like if you're, if you're looking at where athletics is going it's definitely in, in a positive place you know the whole, that whole you know the, what's, what's the next generation that's what you look towards whether it's, whether it's any sport you know whether it's the Irish football team the Irish rugby team whether it's um, any sport that's the encouraging thing Sonia did mention the, um, the senior women yesterday and I think obviously we were missing Fanula Fanula Britton McCormack who's Taking a year out, just had her first child. So if she's back next year, you we talk about how you know that that kind of brings people back into the fold. Like, and I still think there's there are more um, there are more uh, there's more to give from, from the senior women. But to answer your question, yeah, I think it's it's certainly been one of the most. In my experience, when you look at, look at the years in the past, we've always had like a Durville or a David Gillick or, you know, even a Sonia. They were the kind of the, they were the, kind of the, the, the established generation. But this is the one year where you can, take a, where you can like stick, take a step back and say, right, there's athletes coming through, but it's, it's, it's getting to the, the next level, obviously, and, and how they develop over the next three or four years. But look, that, that's exciting. And I'd rather have that than, than maybe senior success and nothing coming through. We'd be going, go, God, you know, what, what's coming around the corner? So I think to answer your question, yeah, it's certainly been, in my experience, one of the most... Um, one of the most sort of like uh, progressive years at that grade, but it also it also begs the question now: to what what does it take to get them to the to the senior stage? I was going to ask that, Sonia, of you. Like w- you look at the under twenty girls, saying you see this all this potential. What what is it that takes them to the next level? Is it dedication? Is it talent? Is it having the right mental attitude? Um, well, there's a a lot of factors really, and there's a lot of management of their talent and where they are at right now. Like they're up there they're competitive right now and it's like how do you get them to the next level and I think a lot of it comes down to the individuals and how determined and focused and how they really if you really want it you know you'll find a way to do it Um, and you have to be very 
individual about it and independent and I think you have to kind of find your own way. You take the support of your coaches and, you know, your all the people around you who help you with physios, you know, your parents, uh, every, you know, whatever you have else you have going on in your life. But it has to be, you know, the most single-minded focus that you have is that you're going to be the best that you can be and deliver the results. And I think when the young athletes taste success, then they... You know, it can come easy sometimes, but now the real hard work begins and, you know, you have to manage that as well and, you know, not try and do it all at once and not try and be the best next year, but to spread it over time. And, um, you know, I, I saw a lot of the young girls out there yesterday and they are so good, so talented. And, you know, even Jacob Ingebrigtsen in the men's junior race, under 20, and he can run that again next year. He's out in Flagstaff training with his brothers at a very high level like they'd be off running about 100 miles a week that is a huge training volume and you know if we're to ask any of our Irish young boys to compete with that then you risk so there's so many risks involved in that that each person is individual and what they can handle and how they can you know get up to that level and you know it may take them you know three four five you know sometimes even seven years to get to that level because you know I've looked back over time and there is a seven year window of getting from being a pretty good junior to being a really good senior at the same level and you know it's very hard to map that out looking forward but when you look back and you count back there'll be ups and downs along the way but there's, it does take a good seven years to get there and so you have to be patient and you you know some people will be very successful and win all the time like the Ingebrigtsons but that's a bit exceptional I think um, not, not everyone is like that I think there is a bit of a change of mindset as well, though, Pat. I think it's not that athletes have gone soft, but I think there's a realization that you do have to do the, the, the you know, the really hard training, like you know. And I think we, there was a kind of a, a period there where there's a lot of people going to altitude training and kind of you know getting more into the gym work and that kind of stuff. And you kind of sense that well, look, it's it's the it's the bread and butter stuff. And that's why you mentioned Sean Tobin there, and a big shout out to Sean Tobin. You're finishing top ten in Europe. Like it was a, you know, this is a seriously competitive field, especially when you had three or four Kenyans in the mix as well. By the way, running running for Turkey. So I mean, he's he's probably thinking now, I'm I'm actually top five or six in Europe. Which is which is a serious achievement for him, but you know he came back from America the, the, this year, last year. I mean he's up now. He's training sometimes three times a day. He's actually doing three sessions a day, you know, including a gym session, obviously. So that's the kind of that's the kind of work rate it takes. And it's not it's not that a there's there's, there's a kind of a sense now that like, we ha- we can be competitive at this level. And it goes back to Thomas Barr, people who are showing them showing them the way, Sarah Healy as well. And I think there's a and even the relay women like it, that's, it was part of their mindset as well that they, they you know. It's not that they're better than everybody else, but they're just as good. So I think, I think the psychology of Irish athletics is changing a little bit. Whereas in the past, you kind of, you know, the, the kind of, I just, I just sense that it wasn't. Um, there was a kind of a sense of that maybe they were maybe taking a few things for granted and not realizing that it is. It's really hard work. And you mentioned the junior men there yesterday as well, like a guy like Darren McElhenney, you know, top top twenty as well. He's a guy who's who's definitely. I think he realizes that it's it's a you know it's it's a long hard road to get to the top, but they they seem to be willing. Yeah, no, and, and they do have to train together as well and help each other out. And, you know, that's where Sean Tobin has, you know, it took him a while to find his groove when he came back from America because when you're in college in America, it's all set up for you over there. You meet for training, you go to your classes, your day is all organised, whereas here you're up in the air. And he's managed to link in with the Dublin Track Club. Um, it's looked after by Phelan Kelly, who also works for Athletics Ireland. And, and he just says okay there's training on Tuesday at 9.30 there's training on Thursday 9.30 and they have the fixed days the fixed times uh, we have a 
a general group that goes there, but other people are welcome to come along as well. And they have they go to nice parks to train, you know, they meet up in a place. So it's a bit of an effort for people to go and train, uh, make the commitment to do it. They don't just run out the front door, which right. people tend to fall into that. They want to run, everybody wants to run from their own front door, you know, rather than make that effort to drive half an hour to meet up. And, you know, you get so much more out of it. I know when, when I was training in... In London, I used to wait sometimes on a Tuesday until the evening to go train with a group of people because they were all working during the day and I wasn't. But and it was it was really it was torturous waiting around all day to go training because you just wanted to get out of the way. But then when I did the session with other people, you felt the benefit, you know, because there's no way you could train at that level by yourself. Is that it? Why? What's the difference? Um, it's just. I suppose your mind, it's, it's all in your mind, really. You know, you can be more relaxed when you're with people. You take turns leading. Um, you do the warm up and the warm down together and it's a bit more social. So there's only a small part of the session that's really intense and you work hard. And, you know, some people will feel good, brings out a little bit of competitiveness in there. Um, no, it is a great it's a bit session. more like a team training session. There's a bit of banter going on, you know, and, you know, you just... You know, you just enjoy it a I'm lot just more. Thinking of, God, I was working in a bloody office all day in London. A guy, I go for a run this evening. Sonia O'Sullivan turns up to me. <laughs> <laughs> no yeah. It's true. I mean, all of this kind of image of the of the loneliness of the long distance runner. But run, running is, is probably one of the most social sports. You you know, you you need to kind of interact with, with other runners. Otherwise, you know, it, it does become very lonely. And, and that's why the Dublin Track Club. And it's a simple, it's a very simple venture. But I think it's going to make a make a huge difference as well because there's, there's more options now for the young athlete than ever. I think than you know whether whether it's staying at home now. And I mean, you know, you mentioned the Dublin Marathon. I mean, I think it's worth meant the Dublin Marathon sold out like ten and a half months in advance. There's definitely kind of a running boom. I know we've heard that word before, but I think they're it's veering more now towards the, the kind of the dare I say proper runners, the more competitive runners, the club runners. Club membership is up huge again this year. I think it's up at well over the fifty thousand mark. And at what Athletics Ireland have done now, they've agreed this this new this new program where they're going to they're going to set aside a certain amount of funding from membership and put that directly back into coaching. So in other words, I think it's maybe three or four euro from every every club membership will go directly to a coaching fund and that that can only be good news because we still need more sprint coaches we still need and even if even if to give you know, Phelan Kelly, if you create a setup as Dublin Track Club, that's the kind of thing which I think will, will only will, will progress the sport because, you know, when you see the Dublin Marathon selling out 10 and a half months in advance, you know, 20,000 runners, mm-hmm. I mean, there's huge potential there, you know, both in, even in terms of sponsorship and commercial interest because, uh, you know, I think for years running became a bit more, a bit more kind of a, a fun kind of recreational thing at, the, at that level, but I think it's veering back towards the competitive element and that that, will, that can only trickle down to the... The interesting thing about this year as well, though, Ian, and, and you, I mean, we obviously, we have a tradition of long and middle distance running, you know, that, that's, that's not, you know, that's not unusual. But the breadth of achievement that there has been this year, somebody like like Phil Healy, obviously, the four by one girls, some are like at the high jump. What do we do... Do we have the requisite experience or knowledge in how to bring these people forward? Yeah, it's just coaching. Exactly what you, what you say. It's just coaching. You mentioned Phil Healy there. I mean, she she um, she found her coach down at Waterford, wasn't it? Um, yeah, but she was at UCC and then she moved over to Waterford. She was being coached long distance and then she realised that, no, I have to be where my coach is. And then he had his little group as well. And it was the same thing, you know, you just in... It's just better when you're with people than mm. if you're by yourself. You know, it is grand to be getting the emails in, and some people are a bit more self motivated. What's, what's her next step? Where where do we where is she going next? Um, so I imagine she'll probably try for the European indoors um, if she likes to do that. Um, the 400 meters indoors is a bit of a specialist event. The 200 meters is I don't think they do it anymore. 
because it's too much advantage on some of the bends. But she's pretty good at the indoors 400 metres because she's fast and, you know, the indoor 400 metres is a bit more like an 800. And if you get in the lead, then you're holding people out and getting around there. Um, but, you know, I mean, she broke Irish record in 100 and 200 this year. So, you know, she she's right up there. But I think she probably has to use that speed to get better at the 400 metres. That's what that's where you see it going. And to be to be more competitive, yeah, on the on the world stage. Um, but you know, I mean, she probably has more plans with her coach. I'm just looking at yeah, no, you know, I understand. Yeah. And looking in on it, you know. Um, but you know, I think when you see athletes being very competitive and doing great things throughout the summer, you would hope it inspires more people because mm. we need more depth, and you need that depth to push um, people forward and to you know ensure that the athletes who are at the top don't kind of relax and you know take it easy you know you have to keep pushing and when you have someone breathing down your neck then you're more likely to feel a little bit under pressure that you have to continue to work hard and not just accept that you're the best and you know that can happen sometimes so um, I think we're in a good place and I think there's a lot of positives to take from the athletics year this year um, but there's still a lot of work to do and a few more steps up the ladder it, to go. It is all about building on it. That's why you look ahead to next year, you look ahead to 2019 and obviously 20, 2020 as well, you know, the next, the next Tokyo Olympics. You look, you look at 2019, you kind of go, right, well, there's two, there's two problems there. There is a European indoors in March, which, are, which is going to be perfect for Irish athletes. It's right where they want to be, a European indoors. I think, I think Thomas Barr is talking about doing an indoor season. He's, he's so excited about it. Then the next, the next big event after that is the World Championships in Doha in the end of September, early October, which actually clashes with some rugby be tournament in, in Japan. Oh yes, of course. Yeah. So, you know, you kind of you kind of worry about. It'd, it'd be big for the Irish Times. <laughs> you kind of worry where the uh, where the sport will be there. You know, doesn't keep doesn't engaging with the public. Um, although I do think I do think Tokyo will, will be a proper Olympics. Like you'll see, you'll definitely see that 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 will definitely raise the raise the bar again after Rio. But it, as Sonia says, it's it's about building. It's about progressing. There is a there is a European junior on the, on the track next year as well. Listen, there uh, on there the is, 20s, which, a, which is perfect for Sarah yeah. Healy and and your own daughter Sophie Sullivan coming through as well. So there's always opportunity but it's, it's at the senior level that's that's where I'd be, a little, I'd be a little bit worried about 2019 and even even looking ahead to 2020 Tokyo it's just kind of bridging that gap between the juniors and the seniors in time because mm, the- it's a big step up you know for you know athletes who are 17 18 mm. years old to fill the shoes you know of senior athletes and be expected to I suppose you know be the main leaders Indeed, in the team yeah, yeah. Um but, so I think we have to be patient and let them get there gradually and progressively and not rush things along. And, you know, I think also we need to, you know, not get too excited, but Indeed. to just let things happen. And a bit like you were saying about the rugby team, you know, let's not get too excited. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. let, let the athletes and the teams and the people go out and let them train hard, mm. let them work hard and let them, you know... Get, get the results but speaking of training hard and running hard Sonia I see you sitting in front of me here you ran in here this morning you're running home afterwards things are well your health is well your running is good yeah, just easy running you know easy running. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I can pass those who are walking on the canal you know that's about <laughs> it <laughs> well Sonia thanks so much for coming in and uh, hopefully the next time you're back this way we'll get you in again Okay, thank you. Cheers, and thank you, Ian. Thanks, Valky. And that'll do it. Uh, thanks to the rugby lads, Jerry and uh, Gav, who were in earlier. Thank you, Pat. Thanks, Paul. Cheers to Declan behind the desk, uh, and thanks to everybody. Next week, actually, we have uh, our books review of the year, which is a very exciting one, Pat. Yes. I've made you, I, I, I said it to you a couple of months ago, and I've made you read these bloody books. You have, yeah. It's, it's been loads of fun for the last couple of weeks. Thank me for your education. Uh, fair enough, I will. I'll thank you next week. <laughs> That'll all be next Monday. Thanks very much. We'll see you all later. Folks.